This podcast is supported by the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, one of America's leading research medical schools. Icon Mount Sinai is the academic arm of the eight-hospital Mount Sinai Health System in New York City. It's consistently among the top recipients of NIH funding. Researchers at Icon Mount Sinai have made breakthrough discoveries in many fields vital to advancing the health of patients, including cancer, COVID, and long COVID, cardiology, neuroscience, and artificial intelligence. The Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. We find a way. You listen to us to hear about new discoveries in science, but did you know we're a part of the American Association for the Advancement of Science? AAAS is a nonprofit publisher and a science society. When you join AAAS, you help support our mission to advance science for the benefit of all. Become a AAAS member at the silver level or above to receive a year's subscription to science and an exclusive gift. Join today by visiting AAAS.org slash join. That's A-A-A-S dot O-R-G slash join. This week's episode is brought to you in part by LifeProof Backpacks. Commutes can be killers, but you'll arrive with your gear intact inside LifeProof Backpacks. Made to move, LifeProof Backpacks are packed with smart features to thrive in all conditions. Water-repellent Cordura fabric sheds rain. Sealed tech pockets protect electronics from weather. And front tie-downs hold oversized stuff outside. Get your LifeProof backpack now at a 15% discount by going to lifeproof.com slash science mag. LifeProof backpacks. Carry on. Welcome to the Science Podcast for July 20th, 2018. I'm Sarah Crespi. This week, science news writer Gretchen Vogel talks with us about suckling mammals and abstaining platypuses. Why did monotremes give up on breastfeeding? And Sandra Uter discusses her paper on fast-clearing clouds off the coast of Africa. It turns out these giant marine clouds are being moved by gravity waves. First up, we have news writer Gretchen Vogel, and she's here with a story on monotreme suckling. And we are going to say the word suckling a lot, so just be prepared for that. Hi, Gretchen. Hi. Let's talk about suckling. Okay. Mammals suck. It's a defining characteristic. How do we amazing mammals make that happen? You know, it's pretty complicated, in fact. There's a whole suite of muscles and tendons and tissues in the mouth that makes it possible because to suck, you actually have to be able to close off the back part of your mouth, between your mouth and your throat. And there's a key muscle called the tensor vili palatini that lets you do that. It stretches from your ears to the edges of the roof of your mouth and tenses the roof of your mouth so that your tongue, when you, for example, suck on a straw, your tongue can form a tight seal with the roof of your mouth. And then when the front of your tongue drops, your mouth becomes an area of low pressure and you draw liquid in. I'm doing lots of funny things with my mouth as you speak. Exactly. I did the same thing. (laughs) That's not exactly how babies suckle. They do some extra things with their tongue Mm -hmm. to express the milk out of the mother's teat. But in principle, that's what's happening. And this is a big deal for mammals. This is very important for mammals to get milk from their mothers. Absolutely. It's one of the key adaptations that defines mammals. And um, it enabled mammals to have pretty big brains. And it's also tightly 
correlated with the kind of parental care that mammals do of their of their fairly immature babies that are born fairly helpless, but then grow pretty quickly. Well, let's turn to monotremes then. These are kind of some uh, outliers in the mammalian world. Why don't you talk about what makes them so different and, and how they are at suckling? Exactly. They're they're totally crazy animals. They they lay eggs, for one. They don't give birth to live young the way most other mammals do. Oh, we should mention uh, some examples that people might be familiar with. Good point. Monotremes include today's platypus and the echidna, or spiny anteater. And they lay eggs. They lay eggs, exactly. They still feed their young with milk, mm-hmm. but they don't suckle. The mothers don't have teats or nipples. Instead, they have these patches that exude milk and the babies sort of slurp or, or lap the milk up. It's not, it's hard to observe. And so mm. actually nobody knows exactly how it happens. Wow. Um, but it's pretty clear that they don't suckle in the way other mammals do. Now, this is a little tangential, but what makes them still mammals at this point? Well, they have hair. And, okay. and they do drink their mother's milk, which is the key point. Um, it's just they do it in a slightly different way. The story that you wrote is really about suckling science. What's going on? What have researchers recently realized about this and the history of suckling in these animals? Yeah. So the story is about research by A.W. Fuzz Crompton at Harvard University, who has for decades studied the anatomy and physiology and morphology of, of suckling. He and his colleagues have now taken a closer look at how suckling may have evolved. They've done that by taking really careful looks at both the anatomy of uh, modern animals and taking a comparative look at some fossil skulls from mammal precursors or, or ancient mammal relatives that were in the same group as our precursors, as our as our direct ancestors. This is where the that special muscle came from. This is this is how they figured out the importance of this various tendons and muscles involved in suckling, right? Correct. They took a careful look at skulls of modern animals and found several muscles that play key roles, including this one called the tensor vili palatini that I explained before that helps to control the the soft palate that's in the top back of the roof of mammal mouths. That's not present in, say, reptiles or monotremes, but it is in other mammals. Correct. It's, it's not present in modern reptiles. They looked at a monitor lizard. But when we look back in time, they looked at two fossil skulls, one from an animal that lived about 250 million years ago called Thranaxodon, and it also seemed to lack this tensor vili palatini. But when they looked at another animal that lived about 220 million years ago called Brazilotherium, they looked and they said, ah, the shape of the bone and the places that you can see where muscles attach, these sort of scars that the muscles leave on the bone, they looked remarkably similar to what you see in opossums and other mammals today. So that means that this was lost in monotremes. Correct. So the fact that Brazilotherium had this, probably had the ability to suckle, suggests that the ancestors of monotremes also had that ability because monotremes branched off much later than when Brazilotherium lived. So it looks like the ancestor of monotremes, the ancestor of all modern mammals, probably could suckle. And then the monotremes did branch off fairly early. They, in the course of becoming really specialized for eating the kinds of foods that they eat, then lost this ability. It turns out that they, instead of teeth, have hard, horny pads on the back of their tongue and on the roof of their mouth. 
And those horny pads are fantastic for grinding up crustaceans that platypuses hunt on the bottom of rivers, but they prevent that key seal that we talked about at the back of the throat from forming. And so that means they can't suckle in the way other mammals do. And that's kind of a serious trade-off. I mean, suckling has really been a very important characteristic of, you know, being able to take care of these immature young that uh, mammals give birth to. Absolutely. And licking milk is not nearly as efficient as uh, sucking it. You get a lot more milk a lot faster if you can suckle from your mother directly instead of sort of lapping or licking it up. But apparently the trade-off works for platypuses and echidnas. It's a little bit surprising to researchers, though, to, to realize that they did make this trade-off. It also, yeah, it sheds some new light on the importance of this adaptation and how it happened in the first place and what role it's played in mammal evolution. Yeah, I guess when it comes to the platypus, though, I wonder where does... <laughs> so, Christian, is this going to give us any clues about why platypuses lay eggs? <laughs> I asked that, and it, it's not directly clear. Um, this is, it may well be tied together. They don't currently have any evidence that would tie that together. This was presented at a meeting. What, what, what were people's reactions to this uh, revelation that suckling is a lot older than they had thought before? Yeah, they were surprised and intrigued, and they pointed out that this was a really clever way to get some answers to these questions, because combining modern anatomy and really careful looks at modern animals with the shape and characteristics of fossil animals and sort of comparing and contrasting um, requires certain interdisciplinary skills that um, not all teams are comfortable using. But everybody really praised this approach as an important one for solving some of these really tricky questions that lie deep in the past. One person noted breasts don't fossilize and uh, neither do tongues. So we have to be more creative at looking at bones and at living tissues to try and figure out what happened 200 million years ago. All right. Thank you so much, Gretchen. Thanks. Gretchen Vogel is a news writer for Science. You can find a link to her story at sciencemag.org slash podcast. Stay tuned for an interview with Sandra Uter on clearing clouds with gravity waves. Now we have Sandra Uter. She and her team have uh, taken a look at some abrupt cloud clearing. So this is clouds moving very quickly, clearing in really big bands. And they suspect gravity waves are behind this change in the cloud's appearance. So Sandra is here to talk to us about clouds. Welcome. Hey, thank you, Sarah, and a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk about clouds. So let's start with these special clouds off the coast of Africa. They're marine clouds. What does that mean? Marine is just meaning that it's over the ocean. So they're marine low clouds. So if you think about a thunderstorm, those clouds are very tall, often about 10 miles high or so. These clouds, the top of the clouds is only about a, a mile or so. They're very long lasting, very extensive cloud decks are normal for this region in the subtropics off the coast of Africa. And what we're seeing is this phenomenon that can rapidly remove large areas of cloud. And essentially we have a line that moves off the coast about local midnight. And as it moves, it's essentially removing the cloud along a very organized line about the length of California. And when I talk about removing, I'm basically talking about evaporating away the cloud. Yeah. When you look at the video of this, it's it's like an invisible forearm is just sweeping a table and it's clearing off a big chunk of this cloud. It's really quite impressive. 
the clouds, they're bright and they reflect a lot of sunlight. And so when you take them away, that energy actually ends up going into the ocean. So these clouds are important for cooling. You can think of like the cloud as kind of like a sunshade. So it's very rapidly kind of just moving that sunshade away. And so anything that removes them very quickly like this is something that, that we're very interested in. We saw videos of this. There's photographs. You know, is that the kind of material they were using to measure and try to understand what was happening here? Yes, satellite data was one of the primary data sources that we used. This is actually an area of the world where there's not a lot of surface-based observations. But we did find some balloon soundings from an island called St. Helena. And then we also looked at data from uh, numerical models to try to help constrain the conditions. What were you able to figure out about the cause of this rapid clearing from the satellite and other kinds of data that you looked at? One of the things is that we looked at how often this occurs, and it occurs about half the days in May. And so it's very frequently in April, May, June time period. And what we've essentially been able to do so far is rule out a couple of things. So we've ruled out that this is caused by the air just being pushed out of the way. We've also ruled out that this is related to the amount of dust or aerosol in the air because they occur in both high and low aerosol conditions. And what we're trying to do right now is sort of constrain what are the types of environments that are conducive to this occurring. And we're looking at a sort of potential hypothesis for how this could occur. And that involves the interaction of the stable air over the ocean with an offshore flow coming off Africa. And the idea there is that that would trigger these atmospheric gravity waves And then that, in addition to some kind of mechanism that would promote mixing and cloud evaporation, may be what is causing this big change in cloudiness. We should right here just say for our audience, gravitational waves versus gravity waves. What's the difference and which one are we talking about? Okay, so we're talking about gravity waves, which is a term that meteorologists use when we refer to actually something that's also called buoyancy waves. This is more like an upward and downward motion in the air. A rough analogy is if you're out at the beach, sort of floating and bouncing up and down in the waves, if you're sort of past where the breakers are, that kind of wave motion where you're just moving up and down, that's more like this kind of buoyancy or gravity wave. What we're talking about is that kind of motion in the atmosphere. Gravitational waves are ripples in space-time. Totally different thing. Einstein stuff, right? Right. So that's different. Yeah. What do you suppose causes these gravity waves and why would they be moving off the clouds like this? It's well known that these kind of gravity waves can cause long lines of clouds. What's different about what we've found is that it's removing cloud. 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour. Is that fast for a cloud? It's the combination of how fast it happens and also the fact that it's organized along this sort of very long line. So Mm -hmm. if you look up in the sky, you see clouds growing, you see clouds dissipating, but it's all kind of random. What's, What's really interesting about this is that it's organized along this very long line that moves westward. What could possibly make this cyclical? How how might that work? Well, so related to this idea that the initial waves are triggered by the interaction of offshore flow coming off Africa and the air over the marine layer, the offshore flow coming off Africa is actually related in part to nighttime cooling. So that area has, it's very dry desert area. At night, it gets quite cold. And basically, air will get heavier and kind of slide down the highlands 
toward the ocean. And so that we think is why it's very regularly where the wave is essentially starting at about local midnight from the African coast. So I think we should circle back to how important these clouds are. I mean, these cloud decks, there's three of them that are just gargantuan. They cover a a large percentage of the planet. And, you know, I think we should acknowledge that we don't know enough about how clouds work right now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So these subtropical marine clouds are occurring in the Southeast Atlantic, the Southeast Pacific, and the Northeast Pacific. And they're very extensive, very persistent cloud decks. They're important because there's a big difference in how bright a cloud is versus the underlying ocean. So when you have these clouds in place, that leads to cooling. And there's been some calculations that show if you change the area of these kind of marine low clouds by about 4% or so, that would potentially offset cooling associated with the doubling of CO2. How might this interact with, you know, the way the planet is warming? We're also one, trying to understand this phenomenon as it exists today, but we're also interested in how it might change in changing climate, whether it's sensitive at all. And that's also something that we're in the process of looking at. All right, Sandra, thank you so much for talking with me. Okay, well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Sandra Uter is a distinguished professor in the Department of Marine, Earth, and Atmospheric Sciences at North Carolina State University. You can find a link to her research at sciencemag.org slash podcasts. And that concludes this edition of the Science Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for the show, write to us at sciencepodcast at aaas.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, many other places, or you can listen on the Science site. On the site, you can also find links to the research and news stories discussed in the episode. That's sciencemag.org slash podcasts. The show was produced by Sarah Crespi and edited by Podigy. Jeffrey Cook composed the music. On behalf of Science Magazine and its publisher, AAAS, thanks for joining us. This week's episode is brought to you in part by Science Careers. Looking for some career advice? Wondering how to get ahead or how to strike a better work-life balance? Visit our site to read how others are doing it. Use our individual development plan tool, access topic-specific article collections, or search for an exciting new job. Science Careers, produced by Science and AAAS, is a free website full of resources to help get the most out of your career. Visit sciencecareers.org today to get started. You listen to us to hear about new discoveries in science, but did you know we're a part of the American Association for the Advancement of Science? AAAS is a nonprofit publisher and a science society. When you join AAAS, you help support our mission to advance science for the benefit of all. Become a AAAS member at the silver level or above to receive a year's subscription to science and an exclusive gift. Join today by visiting AAAS.org join. That's A-A-A-S dot O-R-G slash join.